Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This month we're focusing all of our podcasts on the effect of the coronavirus pandemic on the mental health of children and young people. This week to discuss that I'm delighted to be joined by Monica Jeffcott, Chief Executive of Play Therapy UK. Monica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you and thank you for having me. Before we look at the effects of the lockdown, can you briefly explain what play therapy is and how it can be used to improve the mental health of children? Yeah. Play therapy is a form of therapy used primarily for children. That's because children may not be able to process their own emotions and articulate problems to parents or adults. Play therapy is accredited at postgraduate level and we use integrative holistic models looking at the whole child because we believe children can heal themselves like our body, giving the right therapeutic environment. It integrates non-directive and directive play, conscious and unconscious processes, and integrates all the therapeutic modalities the child is offered, like therapeutic sand, clay, musical instruments, movement, therapeutic story, we don't have toys as such in the playroom. Everything that is in the playroom has a therapeutic purpose, which the children don't know because they think they're playing. It is mainly for children aged 3 to 12, but can also be used for young people and adults, where the creative arts often then are a catalyst for talking. Play therapists work alongside the child, and can use playtime to observe and gain insight into children's problems. The child explores emotions and deals with, for example, unresolved trauma. Through play, children can learn new coping mechanisms and how to redirect inappropriate behavior. Research of over 60,000 pre and post assessments have shown that between 73 and 84% of the children with an average of 15 sessions have improved and moved, for example, from high risk to low risk. And over 250,000 session sheets have been used to show us what children most like to play with in the playroom. And that is therapeutic sand for boys and art and drawing for girls. In addition, in 2013, play therapy was recognized as a profession in its own right for the first time in the world by the Professional Standards Authority, who oversee health and social care professions. The Academy of Play and Child Psychotherapy offers specialized training programs, and they are accredited by a professional organization called Play Therapy UK. So you then have a, a whole network of people that you work with and will have observed the lockdown. So thinking about the, the coronavirus lockdown, what are the effects that you and your staff and the people you work with seen uh, over the last 12 months? Well, there are many reports that have captured the effect of the lockdown, like Professor Russell Viner, president of the Royal College of Pediatrics, cite sleep problems, isolation and loneliness as consequences of school closures. And the NSPCC has recorded a 10% increase in loneliness triggered calls to the Child Land Services since the pandemic began. 
Then there's the mental health of children and young people in England 2020 report findings that says one in six children aged five to 16 exhibit a positive mental health disorder. Older girls had the highest rates. Children citing family tension, financial worries, isolation from friends and fear of the virus is key to their distress. More than half of young people surveyed are feeling anxious. Parents and babies of toddlers have missed physical meetings with health visitors in many areas. Also their regular support groups. And Alison Morton, head of Institute of Health Visitors, considers that babies and children may suffer results in the very long term and have damage. So there is an enormous well of information there of how the impact has uh, or how the children have been impacted. Would you say that the main concern in all of this is a worsening of mental health in children and young people who are already receiving support or is it an increase in the total number who might need support? I think it's both and I think there's a very good report by the Anna Freud Centre that takes five main problems into account. One, the mental health impact on the general population, and there's evidence of considerable negative mental health impacts, which continues to emerge. But longitudinal studies are showing an increase in psychological distress, loneliness, if I said above, and probable mental health disorder among children and young people. They also talk about the impact with pre-existing health conditions and needs for children. And these young people appear to be experiencing elevated mental health challenges. For example, children and young people with ADHD and who are on the autistic spectrum disorder had worse mental health outcomes in relation to emotional symptoms and hyperactivity and decreased prosocial behaviors. Groups of children and young people who are disproportionately affected. And there is evidence that these include children who were previously psychologically maltreated, children and young people of color, children of low income households, children in care, and LBGTQ plus children and young people. Children in care and LGBTQ plus children and young people have reported real feelings of fear, of hopelessness, sadness, and worry because of the virus, and experienced anxiety, depression, and mental health distress. There's also recorded a change in habits and behaviors. Unsurprisingly, the pandemic has resulted in disruptions to physical activity, increased internet use, and changes in personal habits, such as eating and sleep, as well as an increase in self-harming, all of which are impacting on children and young people's lives. And there has been a change in access to services. Anna Freud Center's research goes into great detail on this point, and children and young people seem to have experienced a lack of access to mental health services during this period. Our play therapists are only allowed to work with children of frontline workers or special needs children that come to school. 
This leaves millions of children and parents without support, which will have great, great impact in the future. So recent government announcements suggest that the end of the lockdown is finally on the way. Thank goodness. What do we know about whether the lockdown has caused long-term harm to children's mental health, or is it too early to tell that? The fact, I think, is that worsening of mental health suffering for those already vulnerable to it and new suffering to many unaffected beforehand will cast long shadows into the future, especially with parents and teachers. Children's scaffolding has weakened and distrained. There's some good information on numbers in the Lancelet on children's mental health connected to the virus. And they come up with the same numbers. It's a child mental health report. And that is that one in six children in England is estimated to have a probable diagnosable mental health condition. And the number of children being referred for help has increased by 60% from 2017-18. And these figures do not take into account the children who are suffering who have not been referred, which is the majority. When my organization, APAC, started their postgraduate courses to train play therapists in 2004, this figure was one in 20 children had an emotional, behavioral or mental health problem, as per the government survey using the strengths and difficulty questionnaires. This means, according to those figures, that in a classroom of 30 children, five children need the support of a qualified play therapist, for example, And that needs government funding urgently. Clearly, there are things that we already know and other things that we don't yet know because of uh, what's happened during the lockdown. What are the key things that we're going to need to monitor uh, over the coming months as we try and tackle the legacy of of this lockdown? We have some pointers for vigilance, such as the DA report and Childline widely reporting increases in calls to their helpline. Also early reports that online learning was struggling to reach many students. Our play therapist report that many of the vulnerable children being taught online were not even even logging in to say hello at the start of an online session, let alone learning. Coming back to school, the classroom and learning is going to be really tough. Children and staff will need therapists in schools to help. I expect that loneliness will be something to overcome as children need their peer groups to learn from by exploring and playing increasingly as they grow to become less dependent on their parents for ideas, opinion, words, rules, etc. And reports on this can be found everywhere. If as a result of the lockdown, therefore, there is an increased need for support for children going forward, do we in the UK have the skilled people we need to provide that support? Well, England's Children's Commissioner has warned that the damage to children's mental health caused by the COVID pandemic could last for years unless mental health services are improved and expanded. Anne Longfield said in her annual report, that provisions of children's mental health services was still nowhere near sufficient to meet children's needs and that the government must acknowledge this and go beyond existing commitments with ambition and have new targets to increase access to care. She also emphasised that some clinical commissioning groups has 
consistently deprioritize children's mental health, ignoring their needs and failed to meet the expectations of National Health England, and as such should now face the consequences. Longfield has called on the government to now commit to implementing mental health support teams, integrated teams, working across schools and the national health in every region of England. Children are our future and we must support them now so they can fulfill that role in the future and with that their potential. There's no time to wait. What are the key priorities for government policy in this area going forward? We suggest four points. One, a preventative approach to children's mental health. Instead of waiting for difficulties, a proactive approach from early years setting onwards can decrease the likelihood of problem behaviours, promote positive behavioural choices and anticipate contentious issues at an early stage. The curriculum, both at primary and secondary school level, must embed within it an understanding of emotional literacy, the principles of good mental health, and the certainty of therapeutic help for children who need it. An optimum standard and quality of provision, enabled by ring-fenced funding, should be ubiquitous, replacing the predominant pilot schemes and post-coded trials. CPD in the principles of good mental health and emotional literacy, in addition to the provision of allocated in-school professionals, including play therapists, creative therapists and counsellors. Our number two priority would be a guaranteed protection for children. Children are currently insufficiently protected because too many unqualified and clinically unsupervised people are practising. An individual wishing to work therapeutic with children must be registered as fit to practice through an independent government-approved agency, such as the Professional Authorities Accredited Register Programme, the Professional Standards Authority, or the Health and Care Professional Council. Exceptions on the register and annual revalidation should be contingent upon the practitioners supplying requisite data about their therapeutic work, supervision reviews, continuing professional development, and acquiescence to regular fitness to practice checks. This supplies members of the public and employers with a reputable practitioner, evidence bank, and gives additional assurance to commissioners when placing service contracts for working with children's social emotional behavior and mental health problems. Number three, for us, it is really important that data sharing as a hallmark of a holistic approach to the children's emotional and mental health starts working. Joined up working would prioritize appropriate data sharing between all agencies and bodies concerned with child welfare. Therefore, the responsibility for children's mental health would encompass all relevant departments in addition to the Department for Health and Social Care, the Departments for Children and Digital Culture, media and sport being two obvious examples. Making data sharing a legal requirement would prevent duplication, improve efficiency, promote higher standards of care, and facilitate much more effective working and practice at local level. 
for broadening policy making, informing it by the best available and appropriate evidence. Evidence-based practice is predicated upon the randomized controlled trial. The RCT is, is designed to be robust to the threats of internal validity by controlling elements or systematically manipulating them and selecting patients at random to eliminate bias. However, we firmly believe that such environments differ from routine healthcare settings, making it contentious to generalize from such controlled trials. The research gathering paradigm uh, would be broadened to include real world practice and the therapy results, particularly when examining mental health interventions for children. Reliant on controlled trial methods should be supplemented by an active collaborative collection of data from real world play therapy and counseling sessions. Research gathered this way often makes more sense for work with children than controlled methodologies. Real world therapy results produced straight from clinical practice holds clinical practice at the center of shaping policy on children's mental health provision by using data born from it. Routine clinical practice is captured, evaluated and improved from the bottom up, starting with practitioners collecting evidence from their work on the ground and moving up to policymakers. The best outcomes decision makers should credit evidence of what works in real time that real clients, as well as the customary use of clinical trials. This is very, very important to me. If you take all of those, and if you put your optimistic hat on, where could we get to in delivering the agenda you've just set out over the next one to two years, for example? Well, if the Mental Health Act is reformed, which has been promised by Boris and Teresa for a long time now, and in that it puts children first, as PTUK advocates for the Child Mental Health Charter, to protect and provide for children, we could do it. If trained therapists recording their work for evidence were in schools, we could deliver this. And if you, Gavin, take this podcast to Whitehall, then we would achieve a lot. I will certainly do my best. That's all we have time for, Monica Jeffcott. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Monica Jeffcott, Chief Executive of Play Therapy UK. The topic of the effect of the coronavirus lockdown on the mental health of children and young people is the subject of a webinar being hosted by the Foundation on the 24th of March. Details of that webinar, which is free to attend, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on the website are details of all our other events, our blogs, our journal, and all previous editions of this podcast. Next week, we'll be continuing our conversation on this topic, and my guest will be Professor Louise Arsenault from King's College London.